Hello, everybody. Welcome. You guys walked into a workshop about stress. So uh, hopefully you found yourself in the right place. If you guys have your packets, you will find the outline on page 31, page 32, and page 33. So we're going to give you a little bit of a workout here as you flip. So be prepared to do a little bit of flipping here. So my name is Tori. This is Christiana. Hello. We are uh, happy to uh, navigate this topic with you a little bit today. Uh, there's actually an um, American Psychological Association that did some research on stress. And they do it every year. They take a survey. And their, their most recent survey was from 2022. And the report said that... Uh, a lot of Americans are, are stressed. We already knew that. But this, listen to this uh, report. It says, Americans are struggling with multiple external stressors that are out of their personal control. And 27% report that most days they are so stressed they cannot function. 27%. So it's not just stress. 27% of the people are saying they can't function. That's one out of four people. Look around you. One out of four people, so stressed they can't function. Stress is an overwhelming issue that people identify with. And uh, it's pervasive in our world. Uh, people feel stressed about global issues, health issues, family issues, work issues, roommates, social work, so schoolwork, ministry, money, friendship. You can add whatever you want to the list. There's a long list of what stresses us out. And essentially what we mean, to make sure we're on the same page, when we say stress, it's what we feel when the world around us feels out of control and there's nothing we can do about it. Stress is what we feel when the world feels out of control and there's nothing we can do about it. So this is a big issue with a lot of complexity and nuance, and we're just going to scrape the tip of the iceberg today, uh, but hopefully you'll leave feeling a little bit more equipped feeling a little bit more hopeful, and seeing a big God who you can trust when you're stressed. So if you want to look at this outline that I pointed to you on page 31, we're going to go through a couple different points here. We're going to look first at the condition we're in. The desires we have is point two. We're going to look at the God who exists, the Savior who redeems, and then we're going to end, when you flip over, with some really practicals about the response that we need. So we're just going to jump right in. 2.1, the condition we are in. Uh, the condition we are in as human beings is we are very limited and we are very stressed. So I'm going to explain this by looking at an example that uh, we can find in the book of Luke. It's on the second page, on page 32. You'll find scripture in, in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. I'm going to read it here. This is an example of our human limitness and stress, when we're limited and stressed. One day, he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they set sail, he fell asleep. And the windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went to, to, to wake him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, 
Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? So what's going on here? There's this crazy storm and Jesus is asleep. Do you see the disciples' conundrum? Do you see how they are limited and they're stressed? So let's, let's first consider what I mean when I say limited. Many of these disciples are expert fishermen. They're experts uh, in the field of being in a boat in the water, and they've dealt with storms before. So this isn't a lack of maturity, right? These are experts. They are just limited. They have come to the end of what they are able to do in this situation. They are experts in the field, but they are limited. But uh, I've mentioned that they're limited, but they're also stressed. They are not just limited, they are overwhelmed by this storm. Look with me again at verse 23. It says that they, at the end of verse 23, it says, and they were in danger. So when they probably got in this boat, their, their, their desires were probably pretty good. They probably didn't want to wake up Jesus because they wanted to let their master sleep. They probably wanted to get to the other side of the lake and and get there safely. And all these things started out as good desires, but they they quickly escalated into stress, overwhelming, out-of-control stress. And we too, similar to the disciples, are limited because we're humans and we're stressed. And our our desires usually start off good. We want to be responsible. We want to help our friends with their problems. We want to build our resume. We want to be well-informed. We want to help the poor and needy. But this is often where stress is born. When our good desires and our human limitations meet, boom, we're stressed. Because our good desires are pushed beyond our human limitations. This, friends, is the condition we're in. And how do these good desires get pushed past our limited limited human nature? How how do we end up in these stressful situations? Well, this is what's going to move us to point two. Christiana's going to help us consider how these desires get off track. Yeah, thanks, Tori. That's such a great introduction. Uh, And we're going to, yeah, move on to point two, the desires we have. So when we look at Luke 8, we see that despite the fact that these disciples are fishermen uh, and they have so much experience in what they're doing, they are really confronted with their humanity when they see the storm and they are unable to do anything about the storm. Um, And our moments of stress, we too, uh, despite our potential competencies, we are faced to reckon with our own humanity and our own limitations. So in essence, the problem that we have is that we, the problem we face is that we have these good desires and then, the, I mean, these good intentions, but then they go off track and they become unhelpful and stressful. Um, and so we have found, and it's there on your outline, that these desires generally tend to go off track and become stressors in these three ways. In our desire to fix it all, in our desire to know it all, and our desire to be everywhere for all. And we're going to take these one by one. So let's consider the first category, fix it all, by just brainstorming a few scenarios together. So how do you respond when you're confronted with the hard realities in life that they just don't seem to go away? For example, how do you feel when two people who you really care about get into a conflict with one another and 
it strains the relationship and you're like, what do I do now? Or what about when someone who you really love shared with you months ago that they're struggling with depression or anxiety and then here you are months later and it's still the same. Uh, Or when a close friend or a family member, um, they continue to turn away from God despite your pleas and your prayers that they would really know the Lord. How do these things make you feel? Do they make you feel anxious and worried? Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you're scared or afraid for them. Maybe you're just ready to give up, feeling like you've tried everything and you yourself are frustrated that life remains the same. What exactly do I mean when I say this, when I have this, when I say this desire to fix it all? What it means is believing that you have the power to fix everything that is currently unfixed. Believing you have the power to fix everything that is currently unfixed. Uh, For those who want to fix it all, we probably care really deeply about people and we want to help them. We see the pain and we see the brokenness in the world and our response becomes, I've I've got this, just listen to me. It's all going to be better if you just listen to what I have to say. But the problem is that so many things in life are just unfixable. And while it's praiseworthy for us to recognize the things in life that are broken, and it's definitely so good for us to have compassion and to have love for others, there are just these things that we just, we just can't fix. Um, Zach Eswine, he wrote uh, a lot of material that was really helpful for us in developing this workshop. He describes these things that we are unable to fix in this way. He describes them as the inconsolable things, the sins and miseries, that will not be eradicated until heaven comes home, the things that only Jesus and no one of us can overcome. And he continues on to say, we cannot expect to be able to change what Jesus himself has left unfixed for the moment. This is really striking to me. Jesus himself has left these things unfixed for the moment. How could I expect to fix them? It can be frustrating and it can be heartbreaking to confront these reality of these things in life that are unfixable by us. Uh, Because in these moments, we realize I'm really weak. Uh, We're not as effective as we think we are to fix the problems of other people. We're not as independent. We're not as in control as we think we are. And here are just some things that we might be believing as we try to fix it all. Maybe we're believing, I'm not that limited. I can do this. Uh, Maybe we're thinking that the growth and sanctification of other people, it really depends a great deal on what we say or do, or what we don't say, or what we don't do. And that's a lie. It doesn't depend on us. Or maybe we believe the lie that we are the savior that other people need. The thing is that believing these things, like that's a lot of pressure. That's, That's a load that we were never meant to bear. And because it's so much pressure, as a result, we become stressed. We want to be able to fix it all, but we're only human and we can't fix it all. Uh, we're going to take some moments at different times to split up and talk to the person next to us just to intersperse some reflection all throughout. So take a moment and turn to the person next to you to reflect in what ways do you try to fix it all? And then I will regather us here in a few moments. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to go ahead and regather us here. Um, so next up on your outline is the desire to know it all. So we're going to take a look at that next what might the desire to know it all look like? So maybe it looks like in class or Bible study, you feel really hesitant to share, to speak up and to share your thoughts unless you are absolutely sure that you know the right answer. 
maybe you hold back from reaching out and initiating with other people because you're worried. What will happen if they say something and I don't know the right thing to say next? Um, maybe critique from other people, even if it's meant to build you up. It just feels like a sharp jab to the heart. Um, and we feel it's necessary to defend ourselves uh, to show why we are right. Alternatively, maybe we're really confident in our knowledge and find that no matter what happens, we always seem to know the right thing to say in that situation. Um, so just like before, we're going to go ahead and define the desire to know it all just a little bit more. It means believing that you are able to know everything regarding a person or regarding a situation. Believing you're able to know everything regarding a person or, or a situation. So first, I want to emphasize that knowledge, it can be really good, and it's really worth pursuing. And I think that you guys probably know this because you're in college and you are pursuing learning for your future careers. You also came to this conference possibly because you wanted to learn more about God, how you relate to him, and vice versa, how God relates to you. Knowledge can be really good. Uh, but we see the usefulness and we see the goodness of knowledge and sometimes when we desire to know it all, we see this availability of knowledge and we respond by saying, I can learn all of this and I can perfect it. I have learned all of this and I have perfected it. But the problem is that we can never actually know it all. The nature of learning is actually that the more we learn, the more we realize how much more there is that we don't yet know. And we can think about this experientially. How many of us know what will happen in the future? What will happen tomorrow? How many of us can look back in the past and even remember accurately the past that has happened to us absolutely perfectly? How many of us can say that we perfectly understand the thoughts and experiences of every person around us? Or say confidently that there's nothing left to learn in matters of life or matters of godliness? I would imagine none of us could confidently say yes to any of those questions. Uh, and besides that, even what we think we know, it's often wrong. In knowing other people, we make false judgments about them. We sort people according to our expectations of what they will do, rather than what is actually true. People, they surprise us. They do things that are totally out of line from what we know about them. And we don't recognize our own blind spots, things in areas in which we have failed, uh, and when we, clear, when we clearly can't claim to see the failings of other people. The thing is that so many things in life, it's just unknowable. Or at the very least, it's unknown to us in our current state. And yet, we feel the pressure to know it all. So here's two possible things that maybe we're believing as we feel the desire to know it all. Maybe we worry what other people will think when they discover that we don't actually have all of the answers. Will they think, ah, she's not intelligent? Uh, maybe they'll think, ooh, what a failure. I don't think they, they will actually think those things, by the way. <laughs> um, but maybe that's what we're worried about. Alternatively, maybe, we could be, maybe we've become really prideful in our knowledge. We've built up a reputation for ourselves as being more capable than other people, and we've come to fully believe it ourselves. And so to not know something would actually counter and possibly ruin that reputation that we believe for ourselves. Maybe it would destroy it. It's a lot of pressure to know it all. And like our desire to fix it all, the need to know it all, it's a load that we were never meant to bear. And so because of that, we become really stressed. Uh, we want to know it all, but we're only human and we can't know it all. Uh, so let's get back together with our neighbor and reconsider, once again, a new question. 
In what ways do you try to know it all? And then we'll reconvene here in a few moments. Okay, all right, I'm going to go ahead and gather us back for our very last category there, which is the desire to be everywhere for all. Do you ever feel like there's just not enough of you to go around? Maybe you look at your schedule for the week, even for the day, and you think, okay, I got to go to class. I have to meet up with my group for our group project, and we got to do this. I've got to go to the research lab. I've got to meet up with that girl who I saw at Bible study last week. Um, I need to go to Bible study. I need to prep Bible study. Like, maybe you're just thinking through all these things, and you're like, how am I going to get through all of these things in my schedule? It seems impossible. Um, so let's go ahead and take a moment to define the desire to be everywhere for all. It means you're believing that you can be everywhere for everyone all at one time. Believing you can be everywhere for everyone all at one time. For those of us who want to be everywhere for all, we often want to pursue all of the really good opportunities that we see around us. But sometimes this can result in an excessive involvement in various roles and responsibilities. The logic of the person who wants to be everywhere for all can look like this. I can do everything. I see so many good opportunities in front of me. Why should I choose between them? If I try hard enough, I'm sure I could adjust my schedule, sleep a little less, cut a few corners, just to be able to pursue all of these different things. I know that is how I have thought at times. <laughs> um, the thing is that there's always going to be someone or something calling for our time and attention. But the truth remains that there's only 24 hours in a day, and we should spend roughly a third of that time asleep. <laughs> it's also true that as people, we naturally have a number of different relationships and contexts that are necessary for us to navigate. But navigating these different relationships and contexts, it does not mean saying yes to everything. And unfortunately, everything that we say yes to, it actually comes with another cost. And that cost is often meaning we can't do all these other good things, and sometimes it means disappointing some other people who wish that we would be able to fulfill their requests. When we do say yes to everything, we seek the time and availability of infinite resources, when in reality, we're actually incredibly finite people. When we try to be everywhere, when it's hard to say no, maybe some of these beliefs are seeping into our thinking. Maybe we believe that we are essential to the success or the failure of a certain thing or to many opportunities. Maybe we believe that our future absolutely depends on us doing everything right now to secure it. Uh, maybe we believe that there's some kind of glory that exists in looking like we have higher capacities and are able to do more than other people around us. But because we are finite people, trying to be everywhere for everyone it's going to stretch us beyond our abilities. And just like our desire to fix it all, and just like our desire to know it all, the pressure to be everywhere for all is a load that we were never meant to bear. So because of this, we become stressed. We want to be able to be everywhere for all, but we're only human, and we can't be. Um, so we're gonna break up back into our pairs of people just one last time, in what ways do we try to be everywhere for all? All right, I'm going to bring us all back together. Um, so we're just going to come back together, and we're just going to review for a moment what all we have talked about so far, which is this. When we try to fix it all, know it all, and be everywhere for all, 
it often leaves us feeling extremely stressed. Because as we have discussed, we're only human and we're not created to be able to do it all. We're just like the disciples who in the storm, they had to realize our humanity is limited. Even though they're experts, they weren't able to do it all. Uh, but the good news is that there is a God who is, who is a fix-it-all, know-it-all, and everywhere for all. And that's the God that Tori is about to share with us next. Yeah, so we're going to move on to point three here. The God who exists. Desire to help people, to be there for things, to know things, as, as Christiana showed us, is, is, it's okay. It's a good desire, but we are limited in what we're actually able to do. Because the reality is we're finite humans who actually have little control over our world. However, if we look again at our passage in Luke 8, we will see that this chaotic mess of a storm has a transition point. It's a literal ball of stress that moves to calm and peace. And it's right there in verse 24. Look with me again at Luke 8. It says... And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. The situation literally moved from chaos to calm. We might not be able to fix it all, know it all, or be everywhere, but God is. And there is theological terms for this. They're a little bit of a mouthful. I have them there on your outline. He, God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. He's omniscient, meaning all-knowing. And he's omnipresent, meaning he's present every, everywhere at all times. And we're going to walk through each of these things and look at the character of God and how he is all of these things. So first, omnipotent. I've said this already, it means that God has complete and total control over everything. We see this in a small taste in Luke 8. The storm is out of control for the disciples, but not for Jesus. And the reality of that rocks them. In verse 25, they look at Jesus. If you look at verse 25 and says, who then is this that he commands even the wind and the waters and they obey him? Jesus' control is so big, it scares them and is beyond their comprehension. I have listed there on the third page in your handouts many scriptures that continue to outline passages that show God is omnipotent. And uh, I encourage you to look at those uh, at some other point. This is a, an idea that is throughout the scripture. God is all-powerful. God's power and control is beyond what our human brains can handle. I can barely handle walking and chewing gum at the same time, but God somehow, beyond my comprehension, is able to control everything. And there is a degree of mystery in this, but there is a greater degree of hope. The hope is that there is relief for the chaos in this world. And there's a God who is in control, and we can turn to him. We might not be able to fix our friends who are struggling with depression or fix our situation that never seems to get better or change the heart of that family member who doesn't know Jesus. Our power to fix things is very small. But God and his power 
are big and he's able to do way more than we are able to comprehend. So that's the first thing. God is a fix-it-all. He is all-powerful. We see big theological nerdy word. He's omnipotent. Let's move to the second one, omniscient. This means God is all-knowing. We don't know everything. So much of our anxious overthinking and ensuing stress comes from our desperate attempt to know everything. But we are limited. We can't know everything. But God knows everything. Let me just outline some things he knows. He knows everything about himself. We can't know everything about God, but God knows everything about himself. He knows everything about creation. He knows all of history. He, knew, he knows the big, broad strokes, like the past. He knows everything there, the present. He knows everything in the future, too. But he also knows the little intricate details, like the number of hairs on your head and the thoughts in your brain and the words before you even say them. Again, I've listed some scriptures there to show you how God is omniscient. And this is a, a, an idea that is pervasive throughout scriptures. I encourage you to check those out in your own time. God's knowledge of all things is a huge blessing and comfort to us as Christians when we're stressed. Because there aren't enough books in the world that give us absolute certainty. But we have a God who knows everything and we can trust ourselves to him. When we feel overwhelmed with doubt, uncertainty, our limited knowledge and understand, and, and we're confronted with our limited knowledge and understanding, we can turn to a God who knows it all and has a purpose for it. While the, uh, God's knowledge of all things is a, is a deep comfort to those who would call themselves Christians, this should actually be really terrifying if you haven't put your faith in Christ because God knows you. You can't, you can't hide from him. He has a plan for those who are in rebellion to him. And that plan is for them to, to face wrath and judgment. You can't hide your sins from God. But there's hope for you too. He knows you're here right now. He knows you're, you're at this conference. And he knows that perhaps this very weekend, you turn from trusting yourself and your limited knowledge and understanding of the world and you turn and trust the God who knows all things. So we don't know it all, but God does. He's omniscient, all-knowing. Let's move to the third thing, third character about God. He's omnipresent. God's omnipresence means he is present everywhere at all times. As Christiana mentioned, it's exhausting to try to be everywhere at all times. It's, it's not just exhausting, it's, it's extremely stressful. And while we can't be everywhere all at once, God can. It kind of makes sense if he's all powerful and all knowing, he has to be everywhere, right? Uh, so um, I, I have it again here in your outline. He's omnipresent. Several different scriptures you can see here. I, uh, I think even Psalm 139 is one of my favorite scriptures because of the truth that he's everywhere at all times. And this is, this is actually, I think, at the heart of the, the sweet truth of God's redemption, that he wants to be with us. He sent Jesus so he could be with us, that our sin doesn't separate us. And so when we're stressed, we might not be able to be everywhere all at once, but God is, and we can remember that 
And, and when we feel alone or have FOMO, or we have a friend or family member that's feeling alone and we can't be there, we can take peace and calm in knowing that there's a God who's in control, all-powerful, all-knowing, and is there, dwelling with them and with you. He declares to those who come, that those who deserve sin, like who, who sin deserve wrath, that they come to him. He declares, I will be with you. Oh, what a sweet truth of the Bible. So often we're stressed because we're limited humans trying to be like God. So much of this stress can be alleviated when we turn to God and stop trying to be like God. Zach Eswine, who Christiana mentioned earlier, uh, has this really great quote here that really convicts me. It's, it's right next to your scripture outline there if you want to read along with me. It says, forgetting our place as only humans, we grasp for these divine attributes that I just mentioned and try to make them our own as we live, live and minister to others. Our worldly and church cultures often applaud this and urge us on. Try to tell us to do everything, right? They say, you can be like God. This, mista- this makes us prone, especially in ministry, to try to do what God, only God is meant to do. The paradox is this, only by surrender to our proper human place can we glorify and enjoy God the way we say we want and the way that he requires. Just like the disciples in the storm, who when they finally surrender, find relief from their stress, the paradox is this, we stop being stressed when we surrender to, tr- surrender to our proper human place and lean on the character of God. This news is going to get even better. I'm going to shift us here to our, our fourth point, the Savior who redeems. We have access to the God who's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent because and only because of Jesus, our Savior who redeems. Our stress is burdensome. You're probably here because you know that, right? Stress is, it weighs on us. We deeply fear letting go of being fix-it-all, know-it-alls, and everywhere-alls. And so we try to do it all. And the nature of our stress is not just the situation, but it's actually our rebellion towards God. We reject our human limitations and insist on trying to act like God. But our powerful God is merciful and he's kind. Two years after our passage in Luke 8, Jesus will go through an even greater storm in the garden of Gethsemane. He was about to be drowned by the winds and waves of God's righteous anger. And as he looked around him, what did he see when he was in that garden? He saw his disciples were sleeping. The roles reversed, right? But what did he do in the storm? Instead of calming the storm of the wrath that was about to come, he stood in the place of the accused, of the accused ones, the disciples of you and me. He took the full brunt of God's righteous judgment that they deserve, that we deserve, and he bore the weight of the cross. The storm on the Sea of Galilee could, could be stilled with a word, of Jesus, but not this storm. 
The, the only way was epic, uh, the only way this epic eternal hurricane of wrath could be stilled was for the God of all power, of all knowledge, of all presence to be confined to a cross and Jesus's precious blood to be spilled. Once we see that Jesus withstood the greatest storm for us, we can trust him with the other storms, the things that we're afraid to let go. This should move us. This should change us. We can't truly understand this good news without responding in worship and rearranging our lives to trust him more. And Christiana is going to help us to actually help us to figure out how can we rearrange? How can we practically respond to this? Yeah. So if you look, we're going to be moving on to the last point on your outline, which is the response we need. And so as we look at how we can practically go to God in moments of stress, there's one step that comes first in reorienting our hearts. And that step is actually repentance. So Tori outlined above how in the midst of the storm, the disciples, they had to shift their perspective to the infinite and powerful God in verse 24. The disciples, they could have responded in a way that would indicate that they thought they could control everything. They could have said, we can power through and we can row our way out of this storm, just like a fix-it-all might. They could have said, we know exactly what to do in turbulent waves. After all, we've been on the water all of this time, just like a know-it-all might. But instead, they had to recognize that they were in need of an infinite savior. And it's the same for us. Uh, we have to recognize that we need Jesus. So in the same way, before we can change, uh, we need to turn to him. And that means we need to do a few things. First, it means that we need to recognize the ways in which we try to take on the roles of God in these different areas. And we've already kind of started that. You did that in the first section. Um, and then after that, we need to repent. And I want to emphasize here, we are not repenting of our inability to do it all, but rather we are repenting of the fact that we have tried to do it all. It's an important distinction there. And then as we repent, we need to learn to trust God, who is actually omnipotent, omni omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. It is a tongue twister. Um, and we're going to get more into what it looks like to practically trust the Lord in those things. Uh, but the first step, the first step in each of these areas is actually founded in our repentance. And so before we get into what it looks like to practically cultivate this trust in the Lord, we're going to get back into our groups again and talk through this question. In what ways might we need to repent? And then I'll regather us here in a few moments. All right, I'm going to go ahead and regather us again. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to work through the three different categories of desires that we went through before. But this time, we're going to work on it with a focus on trusting the Lord. And we are going to continue, just as we've been doing, to split up into our pairs after each one. Um, so first, we're going to look at what does it look like to trust the God who actually has the power to fix it all. So when we face a situation that we feel tempted to fix, we want to turn first to the God who actually has the fixing power that we deserve. And there's a little box thing on your outline with various things to fill in. The first thing that you're going to fill in for how we can practice this is pray first. Pray first. That's going to be the first fill in there. 
Uh, and that means as we pray first, we are going to be acknowledging that God is the only one who has the power to fix these things. And then in our prayer, we are reconfessing our dependence on the Lord. That's what it looks like to pray. We're, we're going to say, God, you have the power to fix, and I really need you because I cannot do this. After we confess our dependence on God, this is going to be your next fill-in. You're going to say, seek God's wisdom. Um, so consider, what does is, what is seeking God's wisdom looks like, look like? It means considering what are the responsibilities that God has given within a situation versus what that God has given me in a situation, mm-hmm. I should say, versus the responsibilities that only belong to God. So if I borrow an example from uh, when we were talking about fixing it all before, if you're considering your friend whose heart is being hardened against God, what is it right for you to be concerned about and what is something that only belongs to God? It's right for you to be concerned about your friend whose heart is hardened against God, but your responsibility is not to change your friend's heart. That actually only belongs to God. God is the only one who can actually change your friend's heart. So what does that look like to you? For you then, it means your responsibility is just to love them and to share Jesus with them and to keep praying for them. That's your responsibility. As we are seeking God's wisdom, there's a few ways we can practically do this. Keep praying. Uh, We can look to scripture for God's wisdom. We can seek counsel from others who appoint us back to the Lord and to help us see in scripture what the, the responsibilities we have are within particular situations. To summarize all of this and to say it once more, to establish our hearts in the truth that God alone has the power to fix all of the things that we so desperately want to be fixed. We need to pray. We need to pray that we grow increasingly aware of God's fixing power. And we need to seek God's wisdom rather than our own. Um, there are some small, there's some questions for you and your pairs to think through together. There's three of them. I'll read them for us. What is one thing that you feel burdened to fix? What is one way to pray for that burden? And what is one way that prayer can become a more normal part of life? So go ahead and discuss that in your pairs, and we'll bring us back. All right. So I'm going to gather us back together once again. And we're going to look at the next thing on our outline there, which is trusting the God who, has, who actually knows it all. And what we're going to do here is we're going to learn to love the fact that we don't know it all, but God does. Uh, Proverbs 1.7 says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the beginning of knowledge. No. Yeah, it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Yeah, I'm that's questioning myself now. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I don't, don't, I don't have to all. know it all. <laughs> um, turning to the God who knows it all, it's actually the beginning of knowledge itself. So I'm not saying don't pursue knowledge. Instead, I'm saying let your awareness that you don't know it all actually push you in humility toward the God who actually does know it all. To say it slightly differently, when we feel burdened by a need to know it all, we can turn, we can allow this need to drive us back to God. And so there's two things that are going to be on your fill-ins there. The first one is going to be cultivate humility. Sometimes in our pride, we want to have 100% certainty and we want to know everything. But in our active repentance, we can take a step of humility by being content to not know it all. Because our competence, it doesn't rest in our ability to know it all. Instead, it rests in our dependence and our faith in the God who does know it all. I have an example of this. A little while back, my sister, she called me late at night, 
And she was asking for advice regarding a situation. And I was like, man, I, I don't know what to tell you. And the next day, someone else asked me a question that was so similar. And once again, I was like, I don't have the answer. I felt very stressed. I felt like I should have the answer, but I didn't. And I realized later in reflection that this is actually a grace of God to humble me because I don't have to pretend to know all of the answers and have all of the solutions to life. In my active humility, I can go back to my sister and I can go back to this other person and say, you know, that's a really great question. I don't have the answers you're looking for, but maybe we can search the scriptures together to see if God has the answers we're looking for. Just an example of how we can actually refocus our attention back on the Lord rather than ourselves as the owner of all knowledge. The second thing on your fill-in is going to be love people. Sometimes we get over-focused on knowing the right thing to say next rather than just loving the person who is just sitting right in front of us at the moment. 1 Corinthians 13, it says that knowledge without love, it's actually nothing. God values godly character lived out over godly knowledge articulated perfectly. So one question to ask yourself might be, where does my mind go first in conversation? Do I ask myself, what is going to care for this person right now? Or am I stuck contemplating the next truth bomb to drop on them? <laughs> Just a question to consider as we think about what, what does it look like for, for us to actually love people and to love the person right in front of us. So we're going to get back together in our groups and we're going to answer the questions that are there on your outline. What is one way that you can grow in humility? What typically stops you from loving the person in front of you? And what is one thing that you can do better to, what is one thing you can do to better love the person in front of you? So go ahead and talk and we'll come back in a few moments. Okay, so I'm going to regather us here for the last time. And we're going to look at the very last thing on your outline there, which is trusting the God who is actually everywhere for all. So when we feel torn between the places we can be and we cannot be, let's submit to God who actually is everywhere. And there's three fill-ins this time. We've been doing two, two, but now there's three. So <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> uh, the first thing that you're going to fill in is recognize limitations. Recognize limitations. Thing is, can only be in one place at one time, and you need food, and you need water, and you need sleep. It's pretty crazy that Jesus himself submitted to human limitation when he was on earth. I mean, in the passage that we read, he was asleep in the boat originally, <laughs> and he has to travel from place to place to meet with people. He also chose to wait 30 years to even begin his ministry on earth. If Jesus can take time to sleep, eat, spend time doing one thing at a time, we can also trust the Lord and actually enjoy the ways that God has provided for our rest and for our rejuvenation. The second thing on your fill-ins there is going to be serve God first. It's really good to serve others, and it's good to care for yourself, but it should never trump serving the Lord. Taking another look at Jesus, we see that throughout his ministry, he frequently withdraws from the demands of life and ministry in order to spend time in prayer with the Father. We're not meant to be everywhere all at once. God has given each of us specific roles and specific giftings. And so like Jesus, we can go and ask God for wisdom regarding what are the various things that various works that God has prepared for us. 
learning to listen to and follow the Lord, it might mean disappointing other people. It also might mean disappointing the path that you have crafted for yourself to walk upon. But it's worthwhile to deeply consider where and what God is actually calling to you, calling you to. Um, the last thing that we're is going to be last fill in. It's going to be value time God gives. Value time God gives. In our rush and in our busyness, we can sometimes forget or we can minimize the small joys that God gives. But learning to love the small things and the ordinary things, it helps us to become really rooted to the people and to the places that God has called us to. It helps us to take note of how God is currently providing for us. It helps to curb the restlessness that sometimes drives us to find other ways to provide for ourselves. And it helps us to notice how much greater God actually is than us. So I have an example for, of this. Um, I, don't, I don't do this often, but I, I don't do this as often as I would wish. But what I really have come to love is walk, going for walks around Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, if you don't know Lewisburg, it's a very, very small place. Um, so going for walks, I frequently find myself walking the same paths, and I see the same things going on, uh, and I see the same sunset set over the bridge that crosses the Susquehanna. But it really helps me to appreciate the small things and the ordinary things. Like I look at people and I see, wow, they're really enjoying the creativity of these shop owners who have created all of these different things for them to enjoy. And I see the ducks swimming in the creek that runs out of the Susquehanna. I'm like, wow, God is really providing for these ducks who are still, they're still alive, even in the winter. <laughs> um, and I, whenever I cross the bridge and I see that same sunset, I'm reminded God is a beautiful artist and a beautiful creator who's really providing for me. So these are the small and ordinary things that remind me, like, if God is providing all of these things in creation and for others, and he's providing for the birds, how much more does he provide for me? Um, it's this tactile nature of going for a walk that really reminds me how I am a created being rooted to a, a physical, a very particular place. And I'm a created being who is really loved by my creator, who is vastly greater than I am. Um, so we're going to spend one last time reflecting together. What is one limitation that you often exceed with your body? What is one thing you can do to live within your body's limitations? And what is one way you can practice appreciating the time that God has given you? So take a few moments, and then we'll come back together. All right, you guys, we're going to wrap up our time here together. So in conclusion, so much of our stress comes from our attempts to push beyond our finite human limitations. And so much of our comfort can come from recognizing our limitations and turning and trusting the God who's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. We hope and pray that this workshop gets you started in turning to God in these stressful moments. So let me close this in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that while we are limited, you are not, that you are powerful and all-knowing and everywhere. I pray that you help us to more quickly recognize this in our stressful moments and turn to you in repentance and in joy and relief that you are in control and are a good God who we can trust, even if it's beyond our understanding. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.